0: month, and so we find ourselves back on our theme for the year, the theme of one another. And I invite you to join me again in Romans 12, if you are not there already, Romans 12. We'll be looking specifically this evening at verses 19 to 21. Romans 12, 19 to 21. You're going to read the passage and then we'll open with a word of prayer. Romans 12, 19 to 21. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as we have just sung, oh, for grace to trust you more. As we come to this passage, we see, we will see the need to trust. Even in the midst of of circumstances which are very difficult to trust, we must trust. Because you, our God, are trustworthy. I pray this evening that you would, through your spirit, through the word, open our eyes to this passage. The truth that you would have for us. That your spirit would take it and, and apply it to our lives. That you would challenge us and change us. Through this hour. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In high school, I was a very competitive person. I played any sport that I could that my school offered, which was only two, soccer and basketball. So I played them. And soccer I knew. Soccer I was comfortable with. Basketball, I got to know, but I didn't necessarily know all of the rules. But I was competitive. And so I would get so frustrated at the refs And I remember one time in particular, it's the only time I ever got a technical, I had been just complaining all game long to the refs, that's a foul, that's not a foul, why don't you call it even on both sides? You know, typical things that a high schooler, or really anyone, yells at a ref at any level. And I was getting so frustrated, and really as I look back, I I didn't know the rules of basketball that well, I had nothing to be mad about, (laughs) I just should have been playing. And I remember I got to a point in the game. And I tried to take a charge, and the ref called a a, a block on me. And I jumped up real quick, and I, I I I was I looking back. I think I was conversing with the ref. He didn't think I was conversing. He thought I was upset. <laughs> and I'm trying to. Well, what did I do wrong? What did I do? Wrong? And the ref on the other side of the court had just had enough of me. And so he comes running down, blows his whistle, and throws a tack on me. My dad was my coach, and he sat me down, and I didn't play the rest of that game. (laughs) He taught me a lesson. And looking back, I look back on that in shame. But I realized, looking back, that my problem was that I was focused on the wrong thing. I was focused on what I thought that the ref was doing wrong, rather than on what I should have been doing. If I would have been doing what I could have been should have been doing and I was focused on that and I put all my energy into that it wouldn't have mattered what the ref was doing. But because I shifted my focus off of what I should be doing, off of what I should be focused on, off of my job onto what he should be doing, we had a problem. As we come to this passage this morning, we see this evening, we see a need to trust God to keep our focus on what he has called us to do. I think the context is important. You, our, our theme for the year is one another. And you can say, well, what is this passage that has to do with avenging yourselves? What does that have to do with one another? Well, we started in our theme verse of the year. Romans 12:1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not, verse 2, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In January, we started there with those two verses, and we laid a foundation, and we said that in order for us to have right relationships with one another, we must first have a right relationship with God. We must see him rightly. We must approach him rightly. We must, as the passage says, by the mercies of God, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. As you work your way then through the rest of Romans 12, Paul takes that and he applies it to relationships. So then we saw in verses 3 to 8, that before I can, I can treat others rightly, I must see myself rightly. I must submit to God, and I must view myself rightly. Through the word of God, according to what God says. And so we see in verse 3, I say to you, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Submit to God. And don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then we saw last month the idea of behaving like a Christian, living according to the Christian life. Once I have submitted to God, once I, have, I, have, I, I see myself rightly through Scripture, through what God says about me, then I can treat others rightly. I can love others, one another. That's what we see. Verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The long list of things that it goes through and it ends in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. With all men. Some men it's easy to live peaceably with, is it not? Some people it's very easy for us to live peaceably with. We, we get along. We like the same things. They understand. I understand them. But Paul doesn't say live peaceably with all men that you get along with. Live peaceably with everyone in the church who's easy to live peaceably with. He says live peaceably with all men. What if there's someone I don't get along with? What if there is someone who has wronged me? Justice has not been served. That's where we come to our passage this evening. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. As we work our way through this passage, we see kind of four progressions through here. It's, it's just a very short passage, but we first we see don't avenge yourself. Then trust God, love your enemy, and overcome evil. First thing we see, don't avenge yourself. It's stated right there, Romans 12, 19a. Beloved. It's important that Paul starts there. Because he's about to tell them something difficult. Beloved, I I love you. I care about you. This is not going to be easy, but just know that I care about you. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Just the fact that Paul states that here implies that there is a need for vengeance. It implies that injustice has been done and yet in the face of that injustice, don't avenge yourself. Don't seek revenge. Does that mean I just lay down, I submit to whatever anyone wants to do to me? I don't think that's what Paul means. He said in verse 18, if it is possible as much as depends on you, that means there's time where it's not possible. There's times where it's outside of my control. But regardless, don't avenge yourselves. Don't seek revenge. Well, well, then what should I do? If I can't avenge myself, if I can't seek justice, then what must I do? give place to wrath it's kind of an odd statement give place to wrath some take that to mean that well if don't avenge yourselves but go in a quiet room and just let your rage out don't don't hit them but you can just go to town i don't think that's what it means others would say well give place to wrath, that means if they're going to come barreling through full of wrath, I'm just going to step out of the way. I'll let them do their thing. I don't think that's what it means either. I think it's clear in the context, of direct, especially in what directly follows this statement. What Paul means here is, leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. Trust God. Don't avenge yourselves, but leave room for God's wrath. Look what he goes on to say. For it is written back in Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay. Don't seek justice yourself don't, don't or vengeance yourself. Don't avenge yourselves, but trust God. This is where it gets difficult. This is like me on that high school basketball court. I think I can do the, jo- the ref's job better than he is. I'm not, I don't trust him to call the right fouls. He he doesn't see everything. He doesn't see that little thing that that guy does every time he comes down the floor that, that gives him an advantage over me. He doesn't see as he stomps on my foot. He doesn't see as he pushes. He doesn't see as he holds me. He can't see everything. I don't trust him to do his job. Therefore, I'm going to tell him how to do his job. But God says, trust me. Trust me. To do what I said that I will do. And what did I say that I would do? In Deuteronomy 32, I said that vengeance is mine. I will repay. Do you trust me to do the right thing? Can you set aside your anger? And trust me. Set aside your hunger for vengeance. And trust me. I do see. I know. And vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. There will come a day when every sin that is not in Christ will be answered for. When that wrong that is against you that person will stand before God and they will give an account for that. God sees. He knows. And vengeance is his. We're not said to just let it go and, 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 and forget it and it's not that big a deal. God says, let it go because I will take care of it. Trust me to do what is right. Trust me. Then, as you come to verse 20, the question naturally next is well, then what can I do? I've been wronged. I want vengeance. God says that He will do it. I'm choosing to trust Him. So, what can I do in the meantime? You love your enemy. Therefore, therefore, as you don't seek vengeance, as you trust the Lord, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Love your enemy. Serve your enemy. Really what we see here is that the my as I trust God I am freed from the responsibility of vengeance as I put that in his hand and I am then free to love my enemies I can love them because I don't have to worry about vengeance because I know that my God sees that sin he will not let it go vengeance is coming justice is coming I can trust him to do what he promises So I can obey and I can love my enemies. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Sometimes it's that easy to take care of the problem, is it not? Paul clearly understood the concept of hangry. Do you know someone who gets hangry? Hangry is when you get so hungry that your hunger causes you to get angry. I'm that way. As I get hungry, You, you could put it on a scale. The hungrier I get, the angrier I get. They just kind of match up together. Sometimes it's as simple as feeding (laughs) them. They're taken care of. But regardless, the idea here is that you show love for your enemies. This is a completely foreign concept. To anyone who is outside of Christ, you are telling me to love my enemies. Those who have done wrong to me. Those who have hurt me. Those who have lied about me. You want me to feed them? They don't deserve my compassion. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And that's when you go back to Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If you feel that way, look back to what God did for you in Christ. And then submit and obey. And choose to love your enemies. Then what he goes on to say, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I think think it's important here to understand what he's saying here. This is not a way to subtly satisfy the longing in your heart for vengeance. This is not, I can kill him with kindness. I will be nice, and I'll get a little vengeance that way as I see it just eat away at him. Don't go against everything that Paul is saying in this statement. If your motivation for loving your neighbor is hate, you're not loving your neighbor. Anything done with the motivation of hate is wrong. This is true love, motivated by a real desire for what is best, even for my enemy, and And it, it is a way to overcome injustice with love. Because love brings shame to hate. That must not be my motivation. Right? Even in the song we sang earlier this evening A Passion for Thee. Verse 2, part way through, it says, Let love for Christ every motive inspire. Even. Even as I give food to my enemy, even as I give drink to my enemy, as I love my enemy, even as I do that, let it be inspired by love for Christ and love for Him. Not by hate, not by some subtly satisfying longing for vengeance. But the reality is that love always brings shame to hate, it just happens as I love, as I care, as I am gentle, as I am kind. Maybe the Lord will use that in his life. And maybe it will point out his sin. And maybe that shame will eventually lead him to say, there is something different about you. What is it? In fact, we see that in verse 21. That as you do this, as you do this good, Even as it heaps coals on his head. My goal is not to tear him down to get vengeance. My goal is to overcome evil with good. To overcome. And that's the last thing. Overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with with, with good. My goal is to overcome hate with love. My goal is to gain a friend and ultimately a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. I must see every relationship through the lens of who I am in Christ and what I have been called to. Not just my relationships with those I love. Not just the relationships with those I get along with. But even my relationships to those who I don't get along with. Even my relationship to those who have wronged me. To those I hate. My enemies. Even then, my goal should be to overcome evil with good. Not to stack more evil. When the church is marked by hate, and we take pleasure in seeing our enemies fall rather than loving them, when the church is marked by hate, we're proclaiming that we believe the lies of the world over the proclamation of the empty tomb. My kids, there's a certain time in the afternoon when if they don't have a nap, they'll start getting whiny. It happens every day. They'll start getting whiny. Every little thing. He said that. She said that. He took my dinosaur. This or that. Whatever it is. The littlest thing. will set them off. And I'll always tell them, tell, you know what you're telling me as you whine? You're telling me you need a nap. No! Well, when you whine, that's what you're telling me. You're telling me by your actions that you are tired. Brothers and sisters in Christ, can I tell you something this evening? When your life is marked by hate, even for your enemies, you are telling the world that you have fallen for their lies. Not that you believe in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Not that you believe in the hope that is in Him. Not that you believe in Romans 12, 1 and 2 and the call to live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You're making a statement. You're making a statement. Michael Jordan, a famous basketball player, if you didn't know that name, he went to UNC, by the way, for college, North Carolina, Tar Heels. But there was a famous interaction when the media and several people were upset at Michael because he was not advocating, he was not getting involved in politics. And someone asked him one time, why, why don't you? And he responded this way, he said, Republicans buy sneakers too. He later said that that was just kind of a joke. uh, That he was just joking around. But the reality is that he was thinking as a businessman. He made a decision that affected his relationships. He set aside his opinion to sell shoes. Republicans buy sneakers too. Brothers and sisters, what if we thought that way? My enemies need a savior too. What if we thought as those who have been redeemed, what if we thought, if our mind was shaped by the Word of God, and as we lived as a living sacrifice, if we were holy, and we were acceptable to God, and we were not conformed to the world, but we'd been transformed by the renewing of our minds, and we thought, those who have wronged me, those who, have hate, who hate me, those who have, who have stolen from me, who have lied about me, they need a Savior too. How might that affect your relationships? How might that affect the way that you react to being wrong? That is what Paul is trying to get you to see here. Every interaction that you have proclaims Jesus Christ. It is a testimony of who you are in Christ. It's, it's those in the church with those you love, those you get along with, those in your family. And it is those who have hurt you, who have harmed you, who have lied about you. It is your enemies every interaction, every relationship. What are your relationships saying? What are your relationships saying? The way of application. There we go. Number one, stay focused. Stay focused. Take care of your responsibilities. What has God called you to do? Who are you in Christ? Don't get distracted pulled away by all the things going on around you. Remember who you are in Christ and what that means for your relationships and what God has called you to. And then, trust God for everything that's outside of your control. Take care of your responsibilities and know that God will faithfully fulfill his promises. God will take care of his responsibilities. You take care of yours. Stay focused on what God has called you to. Trust God. And finally, choose love. I know that sounds like something from the 70s, a hippie or something, but... Choose love. Act. Don't react. Don't react. People who are driven by reactions... or people who are not focused. Choose love. Start now. Understand who you are in Christ. What he has done for you. What it means to live as a living sacrifice. And choose to love even your enemies. We're going to close with the song, A Passion for Thee. As I mentioned, there's that line that goes perfectly What we just saw. There in line two, Father, fill with thy spirit and fit me for service. Let love for Christ every motion.